So I was going to wait and tell you all this next week as one of our items of business for the church family. But uh, Ananda was licensed to the gospel ministry by our elders this week. I don't know about you, but after hearing that song full of Scripture, uh, wow, what a blessing. Thank you, Ananda, for your leadership both here and in the Brazilian congregation, and we will be mindful and prayerful for you as you guys move into the second service in a few minutes. Wow. My heart is full. I hope yours is. I hope you are asking God to continue to speak. This is, this is why we gather in God's name. By the way, next week, I believe, is our last Sunday uh, dealing with goats, um, the greatest of all time. Next week is our annual meeting, and so in honor of our annual congregational meeting, next week we're going to have the greatest church meeting of all time. That's going to be our sermon next week. So you come, and then we'll try to have one of the greatest church meetings uh, of all time. Today… We're talking about the greatest battle of all time. Now, one of the things you may or may not know about your pastor, I am a history buff. I love history. I love historical novels. Uh, I, I am, of course, like most Americans, I am better versed in American history than world history. And as a native Virginian, somebody who lives on the East Coast, going back to, you know, uh, the colonial times, uh, the, the history of this country is on the East Coast. So I, I've been studying this stuff. They, they say Virginians, as a matter of fact. I mentioned I'm a native Virginian. One of the struggles if you live across the river in Virginia is you spend so much time looking over your shoulder and looking back, it's hard to look forward. So Virginia is still a very traditional uh, kind of state. You learn a lot of history, American history. I think about, of course, all the famous Civil War sites uh, around here. Now, on the Maryland side, we go up, run up, right? We run right on up to Gettysburg. We run right on up to, to Antietam. As a native Virginian, of course, all the stuff around Richmond, all the battles that took place. And of course, you go back to the Revolutionary War in Virginia. I grew up going to Yorktown, going to visit, thinking about all those Revolutionary War sites. When I came to live in Maryland, you know, one of my top places to go, we marked it off the list, Fort McHenry, right, where the national anthem was written during the War of 1812. Then, of course, World Wars One and Two, and uh, in our family, uh, we often will talk about World War II. People will always say, yeah, remember Uncle Dick was taken prisoner at the Battle of the Bulge. Yep, there in the Ardennes Forest. We think about all the battles of World War II. And uh, some of you know my car, right? You say, why does he call his car Phil? Well, Phil was a soldier in World War II. I bought my car from him, from his family. Phil was a highly decorated veteran for World War II. He, he educated me about the Pacific Theater, and he, would, he had been in numerous of the, the battles over there. He, he talked to me about Iwo Jima. He talked to me about Midway, Leyte Gulf, Pearl Harbor. Like many of you, right, if you've taken a vacation to Hawaii, one of the most moving things you can do, go to the Arizona Memorial, remember the sacrifices that were made there. Now, a lot of Americans, that's where they, they remember that as the last good war, the last easy. Listen, you talk about what the guys did and the gals did in the Korean War. 
If you don't know much about it, you need to go study the battles of Inchon and, and Chosun Reservoir, Heartbreak Ridge. Clint Eastwood has helped some of us come to understand some of what took place. Vietnam War, battles for Quezon, the Tet Offensive, Hamburger Hill. And more recently with our military time in Kuwait and Iraq and all the stuff that's taken place in the Middle East, so many battles, Afghanistan, of the making of war, there is apparently no end. And I just have to add here that while the courageous service and tremendous sacrifices have been made by men and women in uniform and their families. Those are, to me, staggeringly heroic. One of the blessings of being a church in the region of the nation's capital is the number of veterans who are a part of our church. While all that's heroic, it is also tragically true that great battles are a testimony to humankind's inability to live in peace. And of course, that didn't all just start with American. I'm, I may know a lot about American history, but I've also studied a little bit of Bible history. Maybe that's where you thought we'd go today when you saw our title. So let's do a quick review of some of the great battles in the Bible. You remember the great chariots of Egypt, right? You've all seen the movie. It was a recreation, by the way. That's not the real thing. Uh, but the chariots going into the Red Sea and being destroyed, the great Egyptian army lost as they pursued the Israelites. Or the great battle for the city of Jericho, right? You remember the trumpets, the people marching around the walls coming down. And then there's throughout the Old Testament, there's this kind of running battle, especially in the, the stories from the book of Judges about the running battles with the people that were called the Philistines. That's where we get the story of Samson who did great battle against them, the strong man. Or you'll later remember how King David made his name with the slaying of the Philistine giant, Goliath. A lot of people remember, you know, wasn't there some battle in the Old Testament where the sun and moon stood still? Well, yes, that is a translation. So let me, because every now and then I'll meet somebody who doesn't believe the Bible and they say, yeah, the sun doesn't stand still, the moon doesn't stand, that's not, that's not what happens in our universe. The word for stood still means stopped. So what did they stop doing? Just a little sideline here. Scientists have proven to those who would want to ridicule the Bible on this that there was actually an annular eclipse that did occur in what would have been October 1207. Now, unfortunately, they didn't know they were counting down to Christ, so we don't have B.C. dates throughout the Old Testament. But one of the historical estimates that could have been in this time slot and what happened was that the sun stopped shining because of a significant eclipse. Interesting battle, maybe one of the greatest battles. Then there's the battle against the Amalekites. You say, what's that one? That's the one where Aaron and Hur helped Moses hold up the rod of God. You remember? 
so that they could have victory. When, when his arms would tire, the Israelites would start to lose, and when he would get the rod up. So they came and they did the smart thing. They held his arms up for him. And we understand that today, too, to also be a lesson in symbolism that if you want to, to help your church move forward, you work alongside one another and you help hold the arms up to God. All of us together. Then there's the sad news of the great battles in the Bible, right? There's the, there's the attacks against Jerusalem by the Assyrians in the 700s, later the Babylonians against, with Nebuchadnezzar coming against them in around 580. That's the famous when they carry everybody off into captivity, the Babylonian captivity and, and much of the destruction of Israel which of course did recover a bit and rebuilt a bit, right? That's what Nehemiah and all that stuff was about. And then you remember what happened around the time of Jesus. A little group of people we call the Romans came to town. They were in the business of conquering the world, and they included Israel in that time. And there was a phase around 70 AD where Rome was weakening, and the Jews in Israel uh, had some strong leadership. They rose up against Rome, and they found victory for about two years. <laughs> and then Rome came back with all its might and crushed them, the famous Battle of Masada. Some of you have been there, right? The hilltop fortress that was finally breached and destroyed. And if you've ever been to the Wailing Wall, that's what was left of the temple after the Romans got through with it in the 70s A.D., so, these are all great battles that relate to the Bible, the study of the Scriptures, understanding the times of Jesus and what was going on. A lot of military battles, great, memorable, tragic, heroic. But if you have noticed that today's Scripture passage is from Romans 7, you understand we are not going to be talking about military battles today. It is not a physical battle that we are talking about. But the greatest battle of all time and the greatest battlefield of all time is the human heart, the human soul. Jesus went to war for us and still fights for us today through the Holy Spirit, the greatest battle of all time. And for us, it is the internal struggle the flesh, our old way of living, the things that we learned, the habits that we formed, the desires that ran our lives until we met Christ and we receive a new life in Christ and the Holy Spirit comes to live within. And from that point on, it's on. The battle between the flesh and the new life in Christ. Let me just, this is just a simplistic version, but let me kind of sum it up. This is what often happens when people become a Christian. At, at the beginning, with a lot of encouragement, oftentimes from a church family and friends, you become a Christian, things go well, things begin to turn around in your life, some of your problems get solved, there's some victory, there's some joy, there's a sense of peace that can only come when you come to know Christ. But what happens normally is that after a while, you begin to realize you have problems still. You start going through some struggles. Old habits start to push their way back into your life. And a lot of times folks begin to think, I, I, what's happening here? I thought I was finished with all of that. 
Maybe I'm not really a Christian. They begin to have doubts about their salvation. Some believers will say something like this. I, I actually, I really want to do what's right, but I lack the ability. I, I don't seem to have the strength to do it even, even when I know what's right. I don't I don't have the discipline. I suffer from a lack of discipline. I don't know what's wrong with me. I don't want to do this thing. I know what's wrong. I don't want to do it. I know this thing is right. I can't do it. A part of me wants to do good, yeah, but there's still a part of me that wants to do bad. Part of me wants to live for Christ and into this new life, and part of me is drawing me and calling me back. And the fact is, I have no easy solution for that today. The Christian does continue to face challenges through life because we live in bodies that are tainted by the fall of sin, while now they are indwelt by the Holy Spirit that we have sung and talked about so much already today. That is the struggle that we live in between. It's the great battle. Paul was one of the great Christians of all time, of course, and here's what he wrote in Romans 7. If you want to follow, I'll pick up in verse 15. He said, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law. That is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me, my flesh, the old way of life that I have learned. So I thought about this passage, and I thought about the wise words of Abraham Lincoln at Gettysburg when he said, we are engaged in a great civil war. It is not a war from without, it is a war from within. That is what we are talking about today. For Christians, this is the greatest battle, the war within ourselves. Now, I have talked already today, mentioned Romans 7. If you're going to be a Bible student and go back and look at this this week, I want, to, I want you to understand that the questions and the discussions and the teachings about this greatest battle of all time actually also include much of what Paul wrote in Romans 5, 6, then chapter 7, and 8. I also want to mention to you Galatians chapter 5, which you heard Clark quote from earlier in the service. It's what the life of the Spirit versus the life of the flesh, that, that's what it's about. That's what this message is about. Because brothers and sisters, our goal when we gather here to worship, to honor God, and to listen to His Word, according to the Scriptures, we say our goal is to present everyone mature in Christ. Not stuck in the baby bottle phase, not in the, uh, I want to do what I, I can't do what I want to do, I want to do, but I don't do. We want to learn how to grow beyond that. That's what Paul is talking about. And by the way, I'll probably refer to this again later, but the fact is, there are a lot of scholars who say Paul wasn't actually telling you what he was feeling then. He was describing what he went through 
as he learned to walk by faith, and what he is very aware that other Jewish believers, because like him, they had always learned to follow the, the law, now they must learn as Christians to walk according to the Spirit. So there are a lot of scholars who say he's projecting here for them, helping them to understand that he knows their pain. He knows the struggle they are going through. So we're going to look at that. Let's get busy. Now, in Romans 7, if indeed Paul is addressing this struggle of Jewish Christians, it's, it's interesting because he mentions in chapter 7 the law 31 times. The law 31 times. And the Spirit, some say never, he, or he makes an oblique one-time uh, mention of the Holy Spirit in chapter 7. But when you get to chapter 8, the Holy Spirit is mentioned 21 times. So you see what Paul is doing. He's moving them forward. He wants to move us forward. Listen, brothers and sisters, he wants to help us move forward. I think Paul, you remember after he was saved, he went into the Arabian desert for a while, what we sometimes jokingly refer to as the seminary of Arabia. He spent several years in preparation. And here's why I think he did that. Because he was a rabbi. He was a Pharisee. He understood all about the laws, and he had been saved. He, remember, he was persecuting Christians when he was following the law. But when he met Jesus, he was forever changed. And he had to go and spend some time and understand, how do I leave the law behind? Oh, yes, it's still there, but I'm here about life in the Spirit. And I as I studied that, I thought, you know what, this is a great word for Baptist. I, I grew up a Baptist. From the time I was six weeks old, my parents started taking me to church. I've been Baptist a long time. And here's what I like to say. Nobody does Pharisaism like Baptists. The Pharisees got nothing on us. We learn the laws. We learn the rules. And we don't mean to get that far off course. But just in the, in the trying to do ourselves for God, we try to keep the law. We try to learn the rules. We honor the book. We talk about the Bible, Bible, Bible. And sometimes we get a little too focused on the law. So we, we'll, we'll, we'll remind ourselves of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks in the ways, right? Psalm 1, talking about knowing the law and walking, keeping the statutes of the Lord. That's a wonderful, wonderful thing. But folks, that's Psalm 1. At, at, as, as much as a thousand years before Jesus came, the gospel changes everything. Jesus changes everything. And so we have to understand that while the Word is good and God still uses it, all Scripture is inspired and God can still use it to speak to us, we have to remember to see it through the lens of Jesus and through the work of the Holy Spirit. So when you look at Romans 8 and Ephesians 5 and you see the struggle between the flesh and the old ways and the life of the Spirit, this is powerful and important teaching for Christians who have ever felt defeated. If you've ever felt like I keep… I feel kind of like the hamster in the wheel. I'm spinning and spinning, but I'm not getting anywhere. A lot of times it's because we are stuck. When we come to faith in Jesus, things have to change. The Bible says, behold, if anyone's in Christ, they're a what? A new creation. That's great news. That's great news. But you will also remember that the Bible says in Psalm 51, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. 
And they're not talking about the sex act. They are talking about how, as human beings, we bear a bent towards sin that we inherited from Adam. That's why the New Testament in Romans says, in Adam all sinned. Now, I want to address this for just a minute because a lot of people think, well, that, and wait a minute, original sin, that's like a Catholic doctrine. That's got nothing to do with that. No, most of Christian orthodoxy believes in original sin because Paul speaks this way of Adam. Every now and then I'll meet Baptists who argue back and forth about this a bit. Is, you know, do we have this original sin nature or are we in trouble because we sin ourselves? And the answer is yes. <laughs> yes, we have this original bent, and yes, we all sin, because in the same book of Romans, 320, right, all have sinned and fall short of the glory. So it's not an either or, folks, it's a both and. And Paul recognized that this creates a great stress for us. It creates a challenge for us. It's a battle. And that's where he gives that great verse in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you. That is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And what is that way? It is the way of the Spirit. It is the work of the Holy Spirit. It is not in your own strength, but in the strength of God. So, what we're getting in Romans 7 and 8, Paul is explaining that as a Christian, you face this struggle between what you know you should do and yet what you find yourself doing. In, in the book of Ephesians, in chapter 5, as I've mentioned, and uh, somebody mentioned a while ago Scott Brown when he was with us, um, I guess that was in the prayer time this morning, when Scott Brown was with us a few weeks ago, he led us in a discipleship seminar, and he spent a lot of time talking about uh, this old life and the new life, the life of the flesh, what some people refer to the old nature, the new nature. And, and Scott said, listen, you don't have to worry about the old man because the Bible says he was crucified. So he's dead. He's dead. Now, you ever use that phrase, he's dead, he just doesn't know it yet? That, that's a little bit of what goes on with the old man. Because the old man is dead, but the habits we formed in our flesh, the life that we have lived for so long, those things are there. How many children do you have to teach to be selfish? None. None. Because you got to cry out and get what you want, what you need, and it becomes a part of that human. But this is a part of what happens. And what, what we were reminded by Scott and by Ephesians is if we don't live life in the Spirit to the full, it doesn't take much for the life of the flesh to call us to hearken back to old habits. That's why Galatians 5.16 says, I say live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. They are at war. There is a civil war in your life if you are a believer. Part of our, our flesh remembers the old ways and finds it easy to drift back. But you have the new life in Christ that is wanting to go God's way. And Paul goes on, he says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. So what he's saying to you and me, brothers and sisters, is that we are not under the law, so stop living like you are. And what do we do that says we're living under the law? Guilt, judgment, 
all of those things that Ananda sang so beautifully about. God's mercy triumphs over judgment. But we act like judgment triumphed over mercy. We act like guilt triumphs over grace. Brothers and sisters, uh, meganoito, as Paul would say, may it never be. Let it not be that way. All right, so let's look at some things. How, how do we deal with this? How do we learn to, to deal with the, 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 the battle that's going on? Because Paul says, and he, he, he admits it, when you have a struggling Christian, you're trying to live under the law, trying to please God by your own effort, and you just can't do it. And Paul identifies four things that happens that we need to acknowledge. Here's the first thing. You have to know that oh, we've got a problem. I have a problem. He says in verse 14, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. So Paul says, look, we, we've got a problem. The I in me is a problem. Sin wants to dominate my life. I mentioned to you a minute ago that the word law appears 31 times in Romans 7. Uh, the word I appears 27 times in 12 verses. I, 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 me, 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 myself. That's used another six times. Or, yeah, several times. My, me, and mine. All this is in Romans 7. Paul is saying this is our issue. When we make ourselves, and, and I'm, I'm going to find, I, I wanna, I'm going to rise up and beat the devil. No, you are not going to rise up and beat the devil. Jesus already defeated the devil. Satan wants to use your old ways against you. And when you think you can do it in your flesh, you're not going to get there. There's a battle between the new and the old in us. So we have a problem. We've got we to acknowledge that. It's a feeling. He says, I know you're feeling this. I know you're struggling. Here's another one. He says, another feeling you might feel. I'm confused. Verse 15, I don't understand what to do. Paul realizes he's got this struggle. How can I stop doing bad things? How can I start doing the good things? I am so confused. I've got today, I'm starting this new day. It's going to be different. And at the end of the day, it wasn't any different than the day before, right? It's confusing. Another feeling Paul identifies, maybe you felt this one as a Christian, I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated. Verse 17, it's no longer myself but the sin in me. I know that nothing's good in me in my flesh. I have the desire to do what's good, but I can't carry it out. Does that remind you of anything that happened? Oh, if I throw out the clue, the Garden of Gethsemane, the guys who said, Jesus, we're going to pray with you all night. And Jesus says, okay, you guys pray here. I'm going to go over there. And Jesus comes back, and they are catching some Zs. They are sleeping multiple times. The spirit is willing. The flesh is weak. I have the desire to do what's right, but I can't carry it out. I'm frustrated by that. And then some people, and Paul reflects this in verse 24, I feel trapped. I'm stuck. Verse 24, Paul says, what a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? And the word wretched means worn out from exhaustion. That's what it means. You ever felt wretched? I mean, worn out, completely out of energy. That's the way many Christians are. You, you ever been in a church that was just dead? No energy in the people, no energy in the mission. That, uh, listen, it's tragic. It's tragic. It's tragic, but it's true. People feel trapped. They're exhausted. And Paul says, when that happens, we cry out. We say, who will rescue me from this body? You see that? From this body of death. 
So I, I got stuff I can say about it. We got to move on. So that's Romans 7. But look what the answer is, because Romans 8, and I want to say this to you this week, maybe you just really want to focus reading on Romans 8, because Romans 8 is the solution to Romans 7. Romans 7 is the key to understanding the value of Romans 8, but Romans 8 is the solution. Romans 8 talks about the Holy Spirit in me. Anyone who tries to live the Christian life in his own power is doomed, is going to fail. That's what Romans 7 says. But Romans 8 says, but that's not how you win the battle anyway. Look at Romans 8 too. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin. You don't have to worry about the law of sin. You don't have to worry about the law of death. There is the law of the spirit of life. That is the greater law. That is the higher law. That's like constitutional law in the United States. It's the highest thing you can go to. The law of the spirit of life sets you free to live the Christian life. So I'm going to close with just a few comments for you about being a real Christian because dealing with Romans 7 and trying to live into the freedom of Romans 8 is what leads to so many struggles, and it causes what I think happens many times, especially young people, will say, I, I don't know, I'm, 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 I'm looking for some real, I, I, it just seems to me Christians aren't very real. I, I want people to be more real about what's going on. So for you grown-ups who say, what can we do to help reach young people? Here's what I'd say to you. First of all, live for Jesus. Number two, be real about it. So here's some, here's some tips on how you do that. How do you cope with this struggle of the greatest battle of all time? Number one, admit it when you are confused. Admit it when you're confused. When we act like we've got it all together all the time, that discourages ourselves and everybody who's looking at us. You have not arrived. You do not have victory over every sin in your life. It's available to us. But Paul's saying, look, I, I live in a battle. I don't always do what I want to do. So admit it when you're confused. It's okay. Number two, acknowledge your imperfections. Verse 18, Paul says, I know that nothing good lives in me. Now, let me just ask you this. From what you have heard from, pa from Pastor Paul, from Apostle Paul before, did Paul suffer from low self-esteem? No, not hardly. He said, I, listen, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, tribe of Benjamin. I'm more educated, more gifted. more." He said, like, I had all that stuff. It wasn't worth anything, but I had all that stuff. He, he had tremendous self-esteem. But you never have victory until you realize that there's a part of you, there's nothing good in. Uh, nothing good lives in my flesh. That's what he's talking about. The old ways, listen, don't, don't, those old days, they're not, not nearly as good as you remember them being. And those old ways, they didn't bring you a joy that lasted. It's only the joy that comes in Christ that lasts. Watch out for the flesh and acknowledge your imperfections. We need to be very honest about that. Here's a third tip for you about being real as a Christian. Just leave yourself some room for failure because you will fail. I can share this as a personal testimony. And so did Paul. Look at verse 19. Paul says, for what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. It's no longer I who do it, but sin living in me that does it. So when Paul says, it's sin living in me, please, this is not Flip Wilson in the old days, you know, on laughing saying, the devil made me do it. That, that, that's not what it is. Paul is not making an excuse. He's not justifying himself. 
He's realizing the fact of life that when you are a Christian, you are born again and you have new life in the Spirit, but you have old ways of the flesh that, that fight. He's being honest, and he knows that there are going to be some losses there, so he leaves some room for failure. Number four, good piece of advice for you, admit your true feelings to God. When you let God know, when you affirm to Him that you know that you're in a struggle, God knows that you're trying to depend on Him instead of on yourself. This may be one of the greatest struggles for American Christians, is to admit dependence. We hate that. We hate dependence. We mock people who get on public assistance. We, we do all kinds of stuff. It's a shameful thing to be dependent. It's not always. When you need help, it's okay to be dependent for a while. And here's what Jesus is saying to us. When it comes to spiritual things, you will always be dependent on Him. You will always be dependent on Him. So be honest to God about the struggles you have. Now listen, I did say be honest to God. You you must be wise and aware that not every other Christian is ready for you to pour out your whole testimony about every area of weakness you've got. So there are appropriate places for men to share certain shortcomings, perhaps with other men, that would not be appropriate with women. Adults with younger people. You know, I always, always tell adults who are working with you, you need to be real and you need to be honest that you have shortcomings. Debriefing those specifically with children is not always appropriate, right? So when you're getting them to share their struggles with one another, doesn't mean you need to join in with your adult ones. You've got to be wise, right? All you guys who do that, you know that's true. And this is what we, we need to understand that. But remember, Thomas came to Jesus. He said, uh, I don't, I, I, unless I put my hands, I, I just can't believe. It's my struggle. I have doubts. And Jesus met him where he was. Admit where you are to God. And then the last thing for today. And this is, I think, really the key of what chapter 7 and 8 are about. So if you only get one thing, let's let be this last thing. Do not depend on rules and resolutions for your Christian life. That's what chapter 7 is all about. It's collapsing again and again. How many of you ever made a New Year's resolution you didn't keep? Yeah. A promise to yourself that uh, you didn't keep. How many of you had one that fell in a day? <laughs> you know? We get discouraged. This passage is teaching us, Romans 7 and 8, this great battle reminds us that human willpower is a great gift of God, but it's, it's, it won't get you there. Human willpower will not save you. Resolutions, for the most part, don't work. We aim for the stars, we hit the dust, and then we get discouraged. That's kind of the human pattern too often. So Romans 7 is teaching us that the law will never get us there. It was given to help us see what God wants to understand our shortcomings and to cause us to do what Paul said. This is our conclusion for today. In verse 7, chapter 7, verse 25, who will rescue me from this law, this body of death? And the answer is, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Can I give you the synopsis? The Christian life is not a hard life. A Christian life is an impossible life. The only way you can live the Christian life is to let Jesus Christ live it through you, 
the person of the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, inviting you to continually turn your life over to Him. That is how you win the greatest battle of all time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I confess before you, before my brothers and sisters, this is, this is not a new message to most of us. We've tried so many times to deal with our shortcomings, our old sinful ways. We try to whip things into shape. We try to give it more effort, fresh effort, new effort, revitalized effort, and it still fails. And as a result, folks are confused, folks are frustrated, folks get tired, folks feel defeated, some feel condemned, some feel guilty. We've tried so many different ways to change ourselves, and we acknowledge again today that when we are paying attention to you and our word and the, your word and the Holy Spirit, that we know that there's never anything we can try to fix ourselves. It requires your Holy Spirit. Help us to realize, God, only as we release life to you, only as we yield our wills to yours, only as we let you live through us, that's where we find the victory. Help us to be honest about our struggles, to realize that you are not looking for immediate human-created perfection from any of us. You are working on our maturity to help us grow. Help us to be honest with that so that we can be honest before you and continue to grow and develop and you can work in our lives. As always, God, we close by thanking you for sending Jesus. Jesus, live through us this week, we pray in your name. And all God's people agreed and said, amen, amen.